Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to another interview with the Three Geeks podcast. Jason, Dakota, and Justin here. We are joined by Mark Pellegrino and Andrew Rosso. How you doing? What's up, guys? Good. How are you? Doing great. I, I've i done many of these interviews, and um, I always tell my daughter about them, and she's like, who's that? Who's that? And then I mentioned Mark's name, and she's like, that name sounds familiar. So then I can hear her on her phone Googling Mark. And then the next thing I hear her scream is Alex's dad. And then she runs off and calls her friend. I can hear her going off about how I'm interviewing somebody from 13 Reasons Why. So I got some yeah. credit from my daughter for the first time today. Nice. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, I, how are you guys? How are you guys doing? Good. Stay I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Staying sane, I think. Right. <laughs> I, I've got to ask, first of all, because I'm a huge Lost fan, what was your experience working on that, Mark? Um, it was, I mean, what, what else can your experience be working in Hawaii? Um, <laughs> it, pretty pretty awesome. I mean, actually, I do know, I have a friend who, who's an actor and worked on a, a, a ongoing show in, in Hawaii, and he has island fever, so he can't take living in, in on an island. But I thought it was fantastic. It was paradise. It was like working in the Garden of Eden. The only problem really was that I chose to be barefoot um, uh, and uh, the, the beach that I first filmed on, a place called Police Beach, um, I don't know its Hawaiian name, um, but it had thistles underneath the sand. So uh, I, had to, I had to put moleskins on the bottom of my feet to, uh, to bear the thistles. But uh, that, was the only, that was the only tough stuff in, uh, in the filming process. Well, I got to ask, any cool stories from working on the show? I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, other than other than you know, um, uh, I, get, I, don't, I don't even know if this would be considered a cool story. You know, I was I was um, I was uh, sitting there with the whole group of us. Uh, we were in a camp for the campfire scene where Jacob sort of reveals the spine of the story to all the characters, and Evangeline was playing with my hair while I was talking to the director. Um, she just was standing there playing with my hair. <laughs> And uh, I have to say that was uh, that was a pretty awesome experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that everything in that last season was fantastic. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. You know, uh, some some people have problems with the end. Yeah, I think it's uh, they not. Didn't, gonna, they didn't not, get it. They, exactly. I don't think they fully got what happened. A lot of people, you know, thinks everybody was dead the whole time. That's not at all the case because there's even a line said that they weren't dead the whole time, but. I won't, I won't bore you with all my fandoms. This is, but, um, this, I, I think this is true, but whenever anybody doesn't like anything I say, I just say, you don't get it. That's fair. That is fair. <laughs> it's safe. And, you know, not liking what somebody is saying online kind of is a nice little segue into your guys' project. Tell me about the Guardian project. Oh, well, you want me to do, you want me to start that one? Um, That's your intro. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a, a multi-tiered project to deal with uh, libels and slanders, false narratives, and bullying. But uh, but the 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 far extent of bullying that causes objective damages to people and the Guardian Project specifically, the first level of it, the thing that we're trying to fund on Kickstarter, is uh, is for a, a pitch deck for a reality TV show that will investigate uh, cases find victims and victimizers and try to establish some form of justice with them on on in, in the public in the public sphere so we all get to see it and maybe see the re reformation of the uh, of the uh, victimizer 
or or something else. Okay, it's yeah, good. no, that's fascinating. People, people don't think people really think about bullying, but it's everywhere. I mean, with the 2020 election, it's definitely there. Oh, yeah. With um, fandom and shows like Lost Fandom, there's a lot of toxic behavior in that fandom, and it's like everywhere. And the bullying is to such an extreme. It's in the Lost fandom too. Yeah, the ending. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, I thought I thought there would be a fandom excluded from that because it's in the supernatural fandom for sure. There's a there's a band of small but vocal, really, really, really toxic nihilists that love to just destroy everything, including you, if they can. If you're a checkmark, if you're an actor on the show, and they you run afoul of whatever their sacred cows are, you're in trouble. You're I'm in trouble. sure there's toxic fandom in the. Uh... Family Ties, Facebook, you know, fandom online. Like, You've got to be kidding uh, me. There, there's always one okay. person. There's always one person that likes to ruin it for everybody uh, else. Okay, wait a minute, though. I think I can come up with one fandom that there is zero toxicity. Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, there is zero toxicity in that fandom. I, I hope so. I can, I can believe that. I, I really, really hope so. They better he was not too perfect. Rogers. Yeah. He was too perfect. Fair enough. Yeah, you know, it's 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 kind of a it's like a rehabilitation type thing that we want to kind of instill also is being able to give a voice to those who feel that they have none or a I guess a controlled atmosphere where they feel comfortable sharing their story. And it's a peace of mind for for a lot of people. And you know, that's that's a big part of it. And of course we want to try and establish some sort of um, you know, resolution, whether the person likes it or not, that's up to, up to them. Right. But the point is to humanize the stories because I'm sure that you guys have seen it. Some people don't really think cyberbullying is a, a crime or anything serious until after the fact. So. No, it's very serious. Um, I was a kid who was bullied in school, but at least with that kind of bullying, you've got people around that can witness it or you can go talk to somebody and they can they can see it but when it's cyber bullying i think it's almost worse because these people are typing directly at you it's not only it's worse it's worse for a number of reasons and one, one of the things we think our show would deal with is the anonymity issue and we think that's what makes people so bold to throw stones from crowds that they can disappear back into and also it makes them completely disconnected from the consequences of their actions because you're just a handle, you're a check marker, you're just this, you're just, you're, you're, you're an abstraction to them. So they they don't, they don't connect at all with the consequences of their actions. And so, uh, and, and also it's a relational type of aggression. You know, the aggression in the, that the bully presents to you in, in the, in the uh, uh, playground it's it's real physical coercion, and there's a risk there, the risk of, of being, you know, punched back. But relational aggression is an entirely different thing, and it doesn't respond very well to fighting back because I've tried it multiple times. I've been I've been attacked by three separate zombie hordes, and when I fought back, it encouraged them. Because some of these folks now have such have such a twisted nihilistic worldview that the the fact that they got your attention ups their uh, their cachet in their group, and now the object is to insult you and bother you enough so that you block them, and they wear that block like a badge of courage to their friends, and it becomes a thing. 
And it's a popularity contest. It's exactly it's, what it is. It's a popularity contest, but it's a popularity contest not, not by achievement, but by nihilism and destruction and by spreading lies. Yeah, and that bully on the playground, you you know who that is. If it's somebody that's attacking you online, you don't necessarily know who that is that's coming at you. So it's really hard to, you know, get put an end to it because you don't know where it's coming from unless you, you're able to hack. Hey, man, I was old school. I mean, you bullied me in the in the playground. I punched you hard in the face. If I bullied you, you punched me hard in the face. There's not a friend that I have from grammar school that I grew up with who I didn't punch at least three times in the face. <laughs> Uh, we weren't rolling on the ground, making each other bloody. We're still friends to this day because of that, probably, right? But you can't you can't resolve these issues online that way. If these hypersensitive mobs that are hyped up in a certain kind of linguistics that makes them even more hypersensitive, and uh, and they're some of them are expert trolls. They they're not only expert attacking you and your personal issues, but dragging you out and getting context that they can then turn into ammunition down the road they're creepy little fuckers i gotta tell you i'm sorry i just cursed in your show you can cuss on our show but um okay how, how does it feel how does it feel as an actor to get attacked for something your character does on the show you you uh, you don't really have much say in the character one and two like i don't understand why they why they get so bent out of shape about a character's decision in a television series yeah, well most of the time like i happen to Right, that's my job. I, I, I happen to be uh, attacked for other things. Okay. But I do think that playing Lucifer on a show contributes to the angst that they feel about me. Um, but they at they attack me for my personal views. Wait, because you are Lucifer and Supernatural? No, 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 no. No, 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 I'm not. Sort of thought. You know, it's... The it's, lie, it's somebody else. It's weird because people, <laughs> you know, there's about... You resonate with the characters, right? You grow attached to characters, but part of this toxic fandom, at least from an outside <laughs> perspective, looking looking into to Mark's network, is people believe that they they can't disconnect, you know. And whatever Mark has done on screen, it it transcends into the real world, and he can't quote escape it. So people, it, it's a it's a delusion. Right, and it you can. It's like trying to fit a square into a circle. You can't fight illogical people with logic. You just can't. I gotta well, say, I mean, that I, I'm, I'm sure some of their angst comes from the fact that I killed Cass or I killed somebody that they I killed some sacred character of theirs. But more often than not, it's it's just that's just the seasoning to the I other things they don't. Yeah, that's what we manage to do. What's that? I said, Mark, I got two or three no, episodes of uh, the final season. Okay, good. Yeah. I, I don't know how it ends yet. <laughs> I'm scared. I can give you spoilers. <laughs> I, I got to say, Mark, you went from playing a Jesus-like figure to playing Lucifer. That's. I played them at the same time, too. So I, <laughs> nice. I, was, I was shooting in Hawaii, and then I'd, I, I didn't go back home. I'd go straight up to Vancouver and shoot. Season five of uh, Supernatural. It's fun. It's great. <laughs> Dakota, Justin, you guys have some questions? I mean, how did you guys meet? How did this kind of coalesce, right? How did this kind of come together? The Guardian Project and everything. You wanted to say it, Andrew? I've been monopolizing. So no, 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 you're fine. Hey, look, you're, you're better than I am. I, I'm grateful to be here with you. Um, yeah, so my, my career is both an attorney and a journalist. 
I had uh, I had reached out for my own anti-bullying movement called Cyberbite that I've been running for about four or five years, and it's strictly a kind of a word of mouth video PSA that I would have a number of actors, actresses, directors, entrepreneurs, you know, participate in to help bridge that gap between Hollywood and you know Silicon Valley. And uh, I had reached out to Mark after having you know followed him for a number of years, not you know, creepily or crazily like his, his network, but I was in a, I admired his work. You know, I grew up watching Lost and of course Supernatural with, with my dad. And I'd reached out on Cameo to see if Mark would be able to do a PSA for my Cyberbite. And uh, he was gracious enough to, to actually do the video. And, you know, I've had a lot of people, Chris Hansen was one of the people that, that did my video from How to Catch a Predator, which was, which was kind of cool. But there was something special about Mark's video. And it just resonated with me a little bit deeper than some of the others, not to put others down by any means, but there was something just very powerful, spiritual about Mark's uh, video. So after he had uh, done the video, sent it to me, I reached back out on Twitter. I thanked him and I asked him if he would be interested in kind of taking it a step further and doing an interview with me for, for Thrive Global which is all about, you know, mental health and, and wellness. And he said, yes. And, you know, we scheduled a, a Zoom interview. It lasted an hour. And I, after that, Mark, I think it lasted another hour and a half, two hours where we were just talking and realized while we both come from different worlds, we have very similar experiences with, with bullying, trolling, the way we, we grew up and physically developed uh, as, as young, you know, teens. So it just was not expected, and it was probably one of the greatest things. So, cool. It's great to hear. No, that's definitely uh, really good. I mean, everything about it sounds very positive for me so far. Like, it definitely sounds like it's going in a good direction. So i I was really glad to hear about this whole whole thing all together. Whenever you know Jason mentioned some about this uh, interview and meeting and everything, I was like, man, I'm definitely. You know everything about that sounds positive for me so far. Uh, I've loved the work that's going on so far. So, so some of the some of the things I've read about it and the little soundbite I got, what really interests me is the deplatforming, which is something I totally agree with. Right? I mean, the the level of soapbox we give someone is dependent upon. You know I mean, like, I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. Right? Maybe I'm, I thought it was really good. Well, first of all, I feel I feel like uh, there's a, a subjective criteria to these algorithms. I think they catch up a lot of people who shouldn't be caught up uh, in in uh, being quote unquote canceled or deplatformed. Um, and so I think they should have an objective criteria, which should be slander, libel, and violence. Uh, those are those are I think the criteria that we we sort of. Uh, coalesce around and we call them rights right and you, you can't you can't slander you can't be violent you can't lie you can't defraud somebody those are the ways that you you lazy fair leave your hands off of everybody anything else is a sort of a subjective value judgment and it's not fair to the people on these platforms so one is getting an objective criteria to judge these things and two i think is um is verifying people so that their identities are linked in so, and maybe cross shared ac across social platforms so that when somebody's a bad actor um, in on one platform, a really bad actor, de demonstrably bad, spreading narratives, yeah. trying to get somebody fired, uh, 
instituting change.org positions, whatever these people do to try to pile on to others, um, um, you know, it's, it's to get them taken off the, the platform. Look, I just I just read about a professor. Um, <clears throat> I don't remember his name right now. He was a, he's a professor of a, of a kid I mentor who committed suicide recently, in part because he was he was very controversial figure. He was a Christian conservative mm -hmm. in a university who taught, uh, but he was loved, beloved by his students and very supportive of them. But he, he tweeted something that ran afoul of the social justice theme out there uh, sure. that had to do with their governor, the governor let, really, uh, un, unlocking the lockdowns. So he said, let us go, Massa, or something like that. And that tweet became viral. And, 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 and what, what that meant was thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who know nothing about this man's life nothing about his work, nothing about his relationship with his students, nothing about his real relationship to racism or to history, um, piled on and tried to get the guy fired. And what happened was the university uh, stopped his tenure. It took him seven years to get the tenure he deserved. And then uh, the, this firestorm of, of attacks uh, got him an early retirement and eventually pushed him into an early grave because he killed himself. Now, I guarantee you 99.99999% of the people that were passing on that tweet, a contextually with, with no connection to the person who was doing it, no knowledge of his history, um, they're, they're all in some way responsible for everything that happened to Batman, for that man's downfall. Now, I'm not saying all of them should be deplatformed, but I definitely think they should be made aware that before you pass on information, you should probably do your, your due diligence and investigate it to make sure that it's actually legitimate. Yeah, we're a very reactionary yeah. society right now. Everybody is just ready to pounce on anybody for saying anything. It's well, absolutely crazy. Social media has changed so much and it's become such a powerful animal that even those who've created it can't control it and often don't want to try and tame it. And, <laughs> you know, today in our digital age, convenience trumps privacy. It always will. And consumers, we don't always understand the privacy rights we give up until after the fact, right? We want that really? Google Alexa, you know, the whatever it is, but until something happens, we're okay with it because we don't think about it. And, you know, part of this is with, you know, to add to, to Mark's point, this blue badge verification system that started five, six, seven years ago, whatever it was, it started on Twitter as just a mechanism to ensure that news and media networks and certain actors and actresses who are very likely to be impersonated, probably today's version of a Kim Kardashian at the time, or you know, uh, Selena Gomez, Ariana Grande, to be protected because their name was so profitable, so powerful, that any type of impersonation of them could really harm, not really them, but the people that follow them. And that's where it started. And unfortunately, it has, transformed into this popularity contest to where, you know, everybody has to give for verification, you have to submit an identification, a driver's license, yeah. uh, a passport, something, right? So 
Yeah. Why should that be different for anybody else? And today, you know, it's got to the point to where people can buy verification. Now, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram say it doesn't happen. It does. Okay. And you have people that are verified that have no reason to be verified based off, and I, I hate to be blunt, but off of who they are in comparison to those who really need it. And I mean, needing in terms of being protected. Okay. Absolutely. So, so you, you touched on a topic that I just thought about and stopped me from, but like deep fakes, as technology gets better and better, become more and more prevalent in social media, in news or organizations, things like that. And you might find a celebrity or a check mark that gets something done that they never did, right? And it's going to look like them. It's going to act like them. It's going to talk like them. But it was never them, right? And this is they just brought up. There was yeah. a uh, <laughs> exactly. lot a few months ago, uh, Ariana Grande and Forever 21. I don't know if you heard about that. But um, basically what Forever 21 uh, stupidly did was take the number one personality in the entire U.S. and decide to uh, infringe on her image. And basically, I forget specifically, but the complaint's like 100 pages long of all these images that they posted of Ariana Grande. And it was just a really, really good lookalike that they paid and to the point of where they mimicked her like positions and photos and you know, it's kind of like the Michael Jordan with his tongue sticking out, right? That's a trademark that's yeah. known. But they they paid this person so much money that, like, it's – you would think it's her. And that's like $10 million lawsuit. And, of course, she won. Yeah. But same kind of thing with deepfakes is the technology today yeah. to be able to really convince somebody. And then, of course, to Mark's point, narratives are spread. And then by that point, it's just like you can't do anything about it. Yeah, what happened is some of us are chill like water, and then there's people walking around with a flame, and social media is the gasoline that just lights that flame, and it just it goes like I've I've been we've talked about this on our podcast many times, but like nerds have even become the bullies, like the kids who were picked on back in the day. They I mean, it was so bad that Kelly Marie Tran left Instagram because of all the hate she got from the Last Jedi. It's like she's a an actress doing her job, people. Like leave the lady alone. Unbelievable. Yeah, I remember that. These are people that think that yeah. they control their narrative, that because they go and pay to see the movies, they buy the merchandise, everything that they have the right to basically be a J.J. Abrams or, you know, Ridley Scott, whoever, whoever it is, to, to do this. And the problem is, you know, with our courts is we have individuals that are significantly older than everybody on this call that have Facebook and social media profiles themselves, but they don't understand it, right? Absolutely. And these are people in positions of authority that are supposed to be hearing these cases and understanding just the arguments that uh, plaintiff and defense are making, but because of their uh, ineptitude and their ignorance, whether it's willful or not, they're not helping. And, you know, I, Something's got to be done. And that's where, you know, to, to kind of toot our horn a little bit, why I really just love this relationship that Mark and I have. And I wish there were more types of those relationships out there, whether it's Silicon Valley or Hollywood, where you have somebody like Mark who has such a great portfolio name and 
stands for something that is able to connect, to humanize with somebody from, you know, my generation, my demographic, to be able to say, look, you don't just sit on a pedestal. You don't just go on screen and then, you know, you never see him again, right? There's There's got to be some sort of connectivity. And that's, you know, I, I cherish that about our relationship. And I tell that to Mark almost every day. So, hey, you know, with great power comes people great people to realize there's a human behind that check mark, right? Yeah. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. And, and now that we're democratizing the power to spread narratives, uh, all, all the, 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 the power is being given to these individuals. Um, now they have to take the responsibility because right now we're seeing lots of power with no responsibility. These fans, they, they influence the networks. They influence people writing series. They influence corporations. Um, I had a friend who was canceled. I uh, had his entire... Uh, career uh, destroyed for fake accusations uh, that were a year and a half later proved to be false. But he was tried on social media. And then they came after me because I was telling the people who were trying him to take it to court. I wasn't even saying this guy's innocent because I, I, he, was a, he was a friend to me, but I didn't know him well enough to say that he hadn't done some of these things. But I was like, hey, there's a court of law and there's a court of public opinion. And one of them is a kangaroo court. You're lynching this man on social media. Knock it off. And that's that's when this that's when the shit hit the fan for me. That's when it all started, pretty much. Look, and I mean, you have you have this uh, mechanism to report imposters, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook. You have these mechanisms to report abuse. And as we all know, it's poorly, poorly run. Uh, it's automated it doesn't do anything and why not take the the dollars that these companies make and invest in a legitimate team okay a big a large team comprised of a number of people that can address these right it can't just be one person or the interns that are doing it but there are things that these companies can can do to help minimize it understanding that they can't be held the only group accountable but they are in a position to help streamline and they are not streamlining because I think at the end of the day, they enjoy the chaos. It keeps their name out there. It keeps the news going, whether right. it's good or bad. Right. So yeah, this toxicity is rolling into a huge It's getting worse and worse and worse. Like I said, our election was just as bad, no matter which side you were on, everybody was fighting and screaming at each other and threats. It's not, hey, I got it. I got it from both sides. Cause I'm not on either side. So I, I, I was I was slinging hash at both sides, and they were slinging hash at me. Each side thought I was on, I was a spy for the other team. It was madness. I'm not gonna sit here and fight over these two idiots. I, I got my <laughs> Unbelievable. It's you know what? It's we have so much technology, and this pandemic has brought everyone online, and of course, everyone. <laughs> you know, a little bit more agitated, but at the same time, it's not hard to be kind. You know, it takes more energy to not be kind, to take the time to write a huge essay on Twitter, Parler, Facebook, Instagram, just berating somebody, especially with without facts. And it's just like, you, you can't do that. And if you do, there's penalties. So to, to our point, if blue badge people can be verified, right, public figures can be verified, and not to bring in parlor, you know, and th their politics, but 
Parler has a system, you know, I, Mark and I are both on it, but, you know, we have our different reasons for being on it. But Parler has this thing where it requires everybody to submit an identification, right? Why? Because they don't want bots. They, they promote the freedom of expression, but just the verification part is what I'm talking about, is being able to submit your identification, which ties you to the platform. So if you do anything egregious, child pornography, uh, weapons, whatever it may be that threatens the public safety or the safety of another person, you're off. You're tied. You can't come back on because you can't you can't upload a fake ID, right? Or maybe you can't. I, I think that's a great idea. I think that should be done on all social media because, you know, there's people on there that have 37 accounts. And, and that, yeah, that's just yeah. it. The blue check doesn't have to go away, right? Give, you know, again, to use Parler as an example, they have different color badges, right? There's verification, but there's yellow for public figures, uh, blue for media, green for, you know, whatever. Why not do the same thing? You can still keep it, but make sure everybody at that baseline has, you know, that basic thing of I'm a real person. And even if I do get booted off, um, you know, blocked, uh, you know, suspended. You can't come back on because guess what? You need to come back on. So you know what? Also, you know what? Also, is disturbing um, uh, that that made me think of a solution that I think is already done on Facebook or Facebook Messenger. They should split the platform so that people under eighteen have a particular platform that can be monitored by parents. There's tons of parental controls, lots of oversight. Because the last horde that attacked me from literally from February until i mean they every once in a while they attack me when they're bored until the present day were all under 18 years old and they were the most vicious and they were the ones who were getting um um social points for you know me blocking or me engaging them in some negative right. way and they would say the most horrific stuff and then here, here's i mean it's like we're breeding a, a whole generation of sociopaths they would completely try to, to destroy you. And then when you when you fight back, they're like, I'm only a kid. And they'd hide behind, you're arguing with a kid. Right. And then they'd tag, they'd tag right. social media influencers and your employers onto this complaint like you're bullying them because, because they're passing false information about you around. And you're actually saying, can you stop that? Can you, can you please stop right. this? Um, so yeah, I think, I think if and you can't pay your bills, too. What's that? I was saying and antagonizing too. So and like antagonizing. out there and then once they get, grab your attention, then they keep going. Mark, you've never, you've never. But wait, but wait, I think, I think if you're not old enough to pay your bills, if you're not old enough to go serve in the army, if you're not old enough to vote, now they're trying to lower the voting age of 16, which is wonderful. But if you're, if you're, if you're not old enough to do any of those adult things, if you're not recognized by the law as being self-responsible, Yep. Then, you know, you're on a different platform and your parents are entirely responsible for everything you do. You've you've never played Call of Duty online before, Mark, have you? No, it's so racist on Call of Duty. I'll, I'll no. tell you, racist, anti-Semitic. I've had kids yelling at me. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, stupidly, I type back and then all of a sudden you hear a mom coming in. Don't talk to my son that way. I'm like, D you're you're watching him do this? Like you're letting him like yeah. what? Yeah, you you can you like can hear the inward a rapper's entire album will come through. It Wait, I didn't, I didn't hear. I didn't hear. Two people were talking. Yeah, no, it was, it was awful. I, 
Oh, I was saying, Mark, that um, on Call of Duty, if you play for like five to ten minutes, you'll hear the N word more than you'll hear on a couple rappers CDs totaled. Oh, big Are time! Are you kidding me? No, oh. it's crazy. Mark, when I when I'm out in LA, I'll I'll bring the game and uh, we'll it's have blues and you can watch. It's it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> you need some more toxicity in your life, Mark. This is this is a good way to do it. <laughs> but I think, I think to tie it back with some other toxicity. <laughs> to tie it back to uh, your career, Mark, I think Thirteen Reasons Why is a really good way to see what this kind of bullying does. I I've I've started season one with my daughter. We're watching it together, and I think that there's a really strong message in there about cyberbullying. And what it can do. I mean, in the show, I don't think it's so much cyberbullying as gossip, but um, no, it's absolutely like the right kind of message. Agreed. And and uh, now gossip, it used to just be word of mouth. Now it's word of internet, and and now it just doesn't include your friends and your and your circle, or your neighborhood. It's the freaking world, and uh, and that's what makes it doubly shameful and disastrous. I'm just. With respect to you seeing 13 Reasons Why for the first time, what bums me out is that Netflix had to cut a very important scene from from that show in order to get the uh, the psychiatric community on board with supporting the show, because many fans uh, fans and critics, uh, though they love the show, thought that there was there was an aspect of showing the actual suicide itself. <clears throat> that glorified suicide. Now, look, I watched that scene, um, and that scene was so amazingly well acted. Uh, first of all, it's imp it's almost impossible for me to believe that such a young person had the kind of chops to bring the world of emotional life that she did to that moment. But I felt watching that scene that there was no greater deterrent than seeing that scene because you didn't see a person released from suffering. You saw a person who did something that was irreversible, knew it and wanted to reverse it and couldn't. And what you saw was fear, you saw despair that led her to do it, then regret and panic. And 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 uh, I, I honestly think that had my friend who committed suicide right around the time that I got that, the show. That's the reason I did it, is because my best friend killed himself. I think had he seen that scene, he might have he might have recognized himself in her and might not have put the gun to his head the way he did. The problem is by glory, you know, Mark, you said something interesting. You know, people think it was glorifying suicide and not, and this isn't you that's, that's wrong, but I think people are using that term incorrectly because <laughs> they're uncomfortable. And they're uncomfortable with things that they don't understand and really don't want to. And, you know, my opinion is I think that scene should have been shown. And why wouldn't the, you know, I see both sides. But the psychiatric community, in order to promote mental health, mental awareness, you have to make people aware. They have to, to try and understand it. And, you know, the direction that our entertainment industry is going in, in my opinion, again, there's a lot of crap out there. There's so much crap that should not be... There is. Hulu, Disney, you name it, but stuff like that that can really make a difference. You know, Hallmark and Lifetime made a name for themselves, you know, for, you know, when we all were growing up. Why? You know, a lot of people my age used to call Lifetime TV, I won't say the word, but APE TV, because every 
film, every docu-movie that was on there had to do with that. And it was only ever on Lifetime or Hallmark. So to have something like this where you have streaming platforms that have so much power and really just can bring independent films, works, producers out there, why not have something like that? So I think that was a huge disservice to, to everyone. And uh, to you, Mark, I, you know, that's, it's a blessing that you got to see that, you know, as, as touching as it is. Well, any problems in the world can be fixed with exposure. Like, um, like when you're sick, you get better. And then when you get exposed to that same thing again, you're not going to be as sick or you won't get sick. And it's the same thing. When you see something happen, that's so horrendous. The odds are you're not going to want to do that yourself because you saw how it affected everybody else. No, I think there should be a lot more exposure to certain things, but it needs to be done with context. Very much. I think I think academic activism so, is making is making us hypersensitive, and it's actually it's actually damaging our psyches because everything is about what's gonna what's gonna bother you, what's gonna set you off. Well, I mean, part of psychological health is being able to confront things that set you off and deal with them rationally instead of irrationally, instead of letting them spin you off uh, emotionally. So we're becoming less healthy, less communicative. We're afraid to talk now. We're afraid to communicate. We're afraid to say what we think and feel. Well, that's not healthy. You can't have a healthy relationship with others. You can't have a healthy relationship with yourself when you've got these blind, blind spots and closed doors and windows that you can't ever penetrate. Yeah, we're well, killing each other. As I got older and got more exposed to uh, politics, for instance, I've always grown up where me and my friends would discuss openly, whether we agreed or not, we'd have conversations, we'd be friends at the end of the day, and we learned a little bit more about each other. But so many people out there don't have that same philosophy, and that's something I had to learn, because I would bring it up as normal conversation, because it was always normal conversation for me. Like, I just, same. we should all be talking, especially right now, because... People, people don't want to. My, uh, my property law professor, the first week of, of law school, uh, when I had first started, told our class something that's just stuck with me since, since day one. She goes, if there's anything you take away from this class is you're going to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable because it doesn't matter in law or anything. What happens if you don't agree with your client? What happens if you don't like something that's being done? You don't get to run away from it. You need to figure out how to address it and address it in a way that is conducive to, to all sides without you losing your cool and creating a scene. And that's, it's a, I don't even know if it's a skill, but it's something that I, you know, I try and strive towards every day and it's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. I believe it's a skill, right? It's something you have to develop for sure. Right. I mean, Train your hard conversations are the conversation of the most. Speaking speaking of, there's a guy, a, a doctor of philosophy named Peter Bogosian and a doctor of mathematics, uh, James Lindsay. I think they're two of the most important intellectuals on online right now. They wrote a book called How to Have Impossible Conversations. I'm almost done with it, and it is amazing. It can help you in your personal life, but it can also help bridge the divides between people politically, which aren't really as deep as they think they are. Uh, can you guys tell everybody where they can help support this <clears throat> cause? Andrew, you want to go Sure. So uh, first place right now is our Kickstarter campaign. So if you just go to Kickstarter, type in The Guardian Project or uh, Mark's name, uh, the project will come up. 
The second easiest way is, of course, to to find Mark on on social media on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Mark, if you want to share your your handles, if that's okay. Yeah, my Twitter is Mark at Mark R Pellegrino, and um, my uh, my handle for Instagram is uh, at Mark Ross Pelly. M A R K R O S S P E L L E. And I am uh, Cyber Guy E S Q on social media, you know, and uh, we try to answer as, as many people because we feel that communication is such an important part of this that we do try and take the time to answer everybody. And, um, you know, we like that. So, you know, as many people that can share our message, you know, that's great. And regardless of what happens with the Kickstarter, if we're able to fund it, that's amazing. And if not, that's okay, because there's other ways that we can still make make this happen. But, you know, we got to see what the market is like, what people are saying, thinking, and probably in the middle of the election season wasn't the smartest, but it's also a, a testament to see where people's uh, heads are at. So... I'll be blasting this all over the three geek social media as well. I got just a few more questions for you, Mark. I, I gotta ask, what was it like working on Lethal Weapon Three? Ah. <laughs> wow. Um, it was actually very funny. I Billy know Mel is, I, I, yeah, Billy Phelps. Wow. <laughs> you know my name, and I said only one word in that whole <clears throat> in that whole uh, film. But um, I know this was this was before Mel's fall from grace. But I got to tell you, uh, Mel was extremely kind to me. Um, we had a conversation about Shakespeare, and he looked at me. He said, "Hey, you want a cappuccino?" I said, "Sure." And uh, he didn't get me one from from Crafty. He, we trumped over to his trailer, went into his trailer. He had a cappuccino machine. He made me a cappuccino, and we sat there for an hour and a half and talked Shakespeare because he did. Franco Zeffirelli's Hamlet. I actually enjoyed it very much. And um, we had a great conversation. Treated me just like, you know, I mean, I was a, a guy who had one word in the whole movie and a big fight scene with him. So I spent a lot of time with him. But uh, he was very kind to me. And I'll, I'll never forget how awesome he was to me. And he had a great sense of humor. He and Dick Donner and uh, Danny Glover, they'd, they'd make these videos together um, that they would, uh, they would tack on as gag reels uh, during the premiere. Which I thought were funny. They just, they just, uh, they just had a good time making movies, man. So I enjoyed it. It was a good, it was a good show for me. Yeah, Mel, you you worked with a lot of great actors. The ones on Lost and Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson's arguably one of the best actors to ever live. I love Mel. I think he's great, and I think he's a very good director as well. Apocalypto is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, uh, it, Brave Braveheart is amazing. Come on, some of his recent stuff has been really good too. The stuff that's yeah. Funny. BOD, it's still been really good, and he's still coming 100% with the acting. But um, I, I, I can't let you leave without asking you about Dexter. <clears throat> sure. <laughs> what was it like playing Paul? <laughs> it's, it's, this is one of these parts where uh, people come up to me in the middle of this, you know, if I'm shopping, and they're like, hey, man, you were Paul and Dexter, <laughs> weren't you? And I say, yeah, yeah, I was. He goes, and the almost invariably the response is you were such an asshole <laughs> and i say oh uh thanks is that is that a good thing oh yeah yeah that's a good thing that's a good thing okay um but it was it was great work <laughs> it was it was great working on that show uh michael c hall was really cool i mean michael c hall and i went for the first two weeks not talking to each other for some weird reason our character 
animosity sort of bled over into you know <laughs> b behind the scenes and that we just never we just avoided each other i think he thought i didn't like him because you know i treated him like an asshole on on whenever the camera was rolling and I didn't think he liked me because he sort of treated me the same way. And then one day we were in front of craft service, noshing at the same time by pure accident because we wouldn't have done that on purpose. <laughs> and I looked at him and he looked at me and I'm like, I, you know, I, I'm Mark. I, I thought, I've, you know, I, 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 we haven't really talked. I just, I, I think you don't like me. And he's like, are you kidding me? I thought you didn't like me. I'm like, no, I think you're great. He's like, oh, I think you're great. And then we, <laughs> we hugged and made up, but it was like, Crazy how, how how your characters can sometimes carry over into the behind the scenes stuff. But it was a great show to work on. I was I was blessed I'm, to do it. I'm gonna send this to Dakota and Justin in just one question, uh, one second. But I want to bring this back full circle. I thought the chemistry between you and Titus Weller on Lost was amazing. Titus Weller, Titus Wellifer is is um, is one of the coolest people I've ever known. I worked with him on 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 uh, Twisted as well, and. Not only is he a, a, a goddamn good storyteller, he does the best Christopher Walken imitations, and he does Al Pacino at every stage of his development. So he can do the 1970s Al, uh, the, the, the later 90s version of Al. He's got him down. Um, he's, he's just so, so, so super talented, you know, such a, such a great guy to work with. And he and I used to go to P.F. Chang's down in Waikiki and drink ourselves silly with, you know, with uh, red wine and Chinese food and stagger home. And it was good times. Yeah, it was good. The chemistry. In fact, in fact, on Twister, when we did Twister together in San Francisco, we went out with some guys who were from the San Francisco PD. And uh, I don't remember the evening. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> My last question <laughs> is how did you get that job on Lost? And what was that like going into what was arguably the biggest show of the time um i owe that to my wife because here's what happened i had four auditions that day and the and the and the and the the scenes for lost were like seven pages long i was i turned to my wife tracy i'm like i can't go to this audition she's like why i said i have four other auditions and i have seven pages to memorize i can't do it i'm gonna go in there i'm gonna flub it all up it's gonna be stupid um, i don't want to make a bad impression on these folks She's like, Mark, you have to go in on this show. It is the biggest show on television. You must, no matter what, go in. So I was like, fine, whatever. So I went I went in and I did the audition. And afterwards, I was like, oh, that audition went really well. <laughs> okay, I'm glad I went. And then three weeks later, um, I got the part. But I didn't even know what the part was. Because the part said Jason, and it was the scene on the beach, but it was sort of different, you know, because they, they, were, they, they would read different sides to avoid leaks. And they would not put the characters out there because they didn't want it leaked. And so I didn't know that I was playing Jacob until I actually landed. And uh, and then they were like, oh, you're our Jacob. Okay. I don't know what that means, but thank you. And uh, and the rest is uh, is history. Mark, you know how to pick TV roles. That's, that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, right. Can you do me one favor? Would you say hi to my daughter, Kylie, for me, who's probably sure. watching? like extremely excited that her dad's interviewing somebody she's heard of hey kylie how you doing deputy stendall here i hope you're doing uh, hope you're doing okay thank you dakota justin do you guys have any questions i have two if we're going through um mark's history of imdb what was it like um working on with the dude right uh the big lebowski how was that oh wow 
<laughs> I mean, I've always thought I've always thought Jeff Bridges was uh, an unsung genius, to be honest with you. And you know, he'd had accolades, but I thought he was totally underrated because uh, every time I'd see his work, he just blew my mind. And to actually see him in person do what he did, uh, just it it was just amazing. He was this. He was a perfect combination of a technical skill and intuitiveness and aliveness and spontaneousness. Um, I mean, the guy's been acting since he was a little kid, so it's it's no no surprise in a way that he was able to bring all that stuff to it. But he was just amazing to watch. So I'd be sitting behind the camera, just sort of you know taking them all in. One time, the scene where he where he goes to Jackie Treehorn's house. And he gets the the, the spiked uh, white Russian, and he starts to yeah, sort of yeah. you know fall get, go out. <laughs> he was he was he was not quite happy with the way the takes were going. Uh, and I mean, I was just a young asshole, but I was like, I was like, dude, they're awesome. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but um, he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, they're great. I thought they were great. I I bought it. And uh, he's like, okay, <laughs> okay, totally taking me in. <clears throat> But uh, yeah, I, I, th I thought they were great, and, and um, the Coen brothers are just so down to earth. You know, um, Ethan, Ethan would direct the actors, would sit there and talk to you about how to, how to do this, the scene, and, and Joel would move the camera around, and they'd confer with each other, and everything's just real quiet and simple and nice. No stress. It's really great. Nice guys. That's awesome. And I'm not saying that because I want them My to hire me. Question, I'm, just, I'm just saying. <laughs> that's it. That's awesome. You you were a part of my one of my least favorite, but also my best favorite uh, cult families in Far Cry Five. How was working on a video game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was actually really interesting. Um, there's a little bit of a learning curve to it because you have a big cage sort of around your face. And uh, you know you have to you have to realize that when you're going close to somebody or going close to whatever they have set up, whatever obstacle there to be bars or whatever, I would often forget that I had this cage around me and bang bang my head into uh, into stuff. But other than other than the occasional uh, smacking into people, um, it was really fun to work on. I thought the director was really receptive to my thoughts and and spoke to me in a language that I really liked. And, um, you know, I'm a gamer. I'm a kind of a horror guy with games. I like, you know, Resident Evil and games like that. And uh, uh, so I didn't know of Car Far Cry 5. So I, it's great to hear that it has such a huge following and people really like Did you kill me, by the way? <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you oh, kill yeah. me? Totally did. Totally did. Up close and personal or was it with a sniper weapon? Did you do it up close? Oh, I yeah, I get I get real intimate, Mark. I get real. Oh, there you go. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. I a right friend that. of mine and I played online, and, and we killed you together. It was a group effort. All right. Good yeah. Good old Jacob <laughs> Guardians. Those are guardians. <laughs> They're <their own> way. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Only you. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. If you guys do anything weird tonight after hearing that little sound bite, you know why. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Dick Cody, you got anything to finish this out? Yeah. Huh? Do you got any yeah. questions to finish this out? 
Oh, yeah. So I loved uh, the show Being Human, and I loved Bishop's character more than, like, anything. That's another right. reason I wanted to be here. I loved Bishop. I thought it was such a good character. Like, every single bit of it. Like, that's my favorite thing you've done. I just love Bishop. Like, the show was good, but I loved Bishop. <laughs> but I loved so, you. Yeah, I don't really think I have a question there. I just there's a fact <laughs> for you. That's all I wanted to say is that I loved Bishop. I thought he was just such a good character. The whole thing. Thank you. Oh, I mean, I, I loved Bishop, yeah. too. I loved, I loved working on that show. Um, I was sad to see it go. Huh? I think the actors were ready I to move too. on. I was like, why, 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 do you, why do you want to move on? You're on a cool show. Stay on this cool show. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I was glad that they actually ended it, though, and it wasn't, like, canceled. Like, it, it like, because um, uh, I don't remember if there was an ending to the British one. I never finished it. But um, I finished that one, and I, I was like, I was just really glad that they actually put an ending on it instead yeah. of you know just getting rid of it or something. But because uh, I, I like I said, I really liked Bishop, and then I forget the werewolf dude's name, but I liked him too. But Sam Huntington Bishop, I just thought it was a really good character through like through the whole timeline and everything too. What was I forget Sam Huntington's character's name now? Uh, now that you're so mentioning I, it, because yeah, like Sam Whitworth was Aiden. Uh, but I don't remember Huntington's character. Oh, well. Josh Levinson. Josh, that's it. That's <laughs> Look at that. it. Okay. <laughs> IMDb is a wonder. <laughs> All right, well. Uh, real is, quick, like, he had it up and he was, like, working on it. I, I did have it up. Uh, one last time, where can everybody find you guys online? For me, it's uh, at Mark R. Pellegrino on Twitter and at Mark Ross Pelly on Instagram. And I am at CyberGuyESQ on Instagram and at RossoESQ on Twitter. And we are the Three Geeks Podcast. We have something very special coming up that we're going to be doing with Larry Hankin. Please stay tuned to that. And everybody out there, have a great day.